Well, the haters gonna hate, 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 and the fakers gonna fake, 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 baby. I'm just gonna make, 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 making luck, making luck. A Dominion podcast. There was a we we did an episode last time on megaturns, and we had a uh, a kingdom. Yeah. That we that we did. Yeah, and so this kingdom has a megaturn available, and so we'll read the cards in it. Uh, and then we'll talk about how we played it. Okay. All right. No props. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'll read the cards. We had Moat, Native Village, Bridge, Bureaucrat, Ironworks, Mountain Village, Crown, Crypt, Haunted Woods, Expand, Dominate, and Fountain. Once again, for our audio-only listeners, Moat, Native Village, Bridge, Bureaucrat, Ironworks, Mountain Village, Crown, Crypt, Haunted Woods, Expand, and there was Dominate, and Fountain. Okay, so we had we purposely engineered this kingdom to make us ask questions. Uh, because it was about the Megaturn we talked about in the episode, times when Megaturn's good, when it's bad. So we purposely made one available, but also made it maybe not the best thing here, because the way you go for the Megaturn is cost reduction, which doesn't help you buy Dominate, which is a lot of points, and there's other stuff available, etc. So we theorized on a few hypothetical approaches. Adam, there, you had a build that you preferred. What did you end up doing in it? So I advocated for opening Bridge and Silver, getting a Haunted Woods to help you get an Expand, starting to thin your estates, using Crypt to temporarily thin your Coppers, and at that point you can just play Crowns and Bridges and Ironworks and gain a whole bunch of cards. Uh, That usually ended up just uh, trying to play a lot of Bridges at that point, and didn't really ever dominate because it could just win the game by emptying provinces or piles or whatever. Sure. Uh, played that against the bot a few times, and, you know, that went well. Uh, you know, but then uh, we tried it against a baseline of just the native village bridge hashtag combo deck. Yeah. Now, if you haven't heard of that before, you can go on the Dominion wiki that describes pretty much what you do pretty well. You can watch our videos as well, and I play it pretty much the way that they describe it. Um, Basically... I'm going to link an article in the description that I prefer. uh, Sure. Uh, uh, But it's... A pretty simple deck. You can watch me play it out in the videos as well. It's just you get a bunch of native villages and bridges. You play native villages almost indiscriminately, setting things aside until you are ready to kick off with your big turn where you have a bunch of uh, native villages and coppers and whatever on your mat, and you use that to play a bunch of bridges, and then you end the game. Uh, Do you end the game by getting all the provinces, if they're all there? Or maybe you end the game by just getting what's left. Just depending on what your opponent has been doing in the meantime, but the baseline effectiveness of that deck is that you effectively win the game or win the game uh, between tw- turns twelve and fifteen. That's about how much time that deck gives you. Twelve on a really good day, fifteen on not such a good day, uh, but usually you can expect to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, I would say it's like fourteen or fifteen on average. Sure. Yeah, but that sounds can, about right. You can go below that, and you can go pretty far above it, because uh, sometimes 
you set aside all your good cards, and uh, that sucks, and it sets you back a lot. Yeah, now what you want for that deck is is weird. Um, so, like, setting bridges aside early kind of sucks. It's not the end of the world, because everything you want is cheap anyway. Uh, but uh, at the end, actually, setting aside native villages ends up slowing you down more than setting aside bridges, I think. But we're into some weird... It's not a huge difference. You want to set your like, starting cards aside. You definitely yeah. want to do that. Yeah. And then you kind of want some balance of native villages and bridges in your deck. I think opening with an ironworks isn't crazy. If you yeah. ever find yourself with five dollars, you know, getting a crown is great for the deck. Well, you, at a certain point, moat is a good card for the deck. At a certain point, also, you're gonna have played like a couple of bridges or whatever. So getting crowns is not that hard to do. I mean, and the, the like you said, the moats are good for the deck as well. So they help you get crowns if you want them. I mean, you normally open native village bridge, yeah, and uh, hitting five off that opening is something that happens some of the time, so, I mean, you're gonna hit five. Uh, that, that was considered a combo deck a while ago. It's not a very strong combo deck. I don't, I mean, depending on your definition of combo or whatever, you could consider it that way or not, uh, but it's, it's pretty laser-focused, and it can be inflexible, and it's not the fastest thing ever in terms of... Not, not can be inflexible. It is inflexible. If you start doing this, you are doing that, period. Uh, sure. Yeah. It can be vulnerable to certain types of attacks. However, uh, those attacks are not Haunted Woods or Bureaucrat. Yeah. So, uh, it turns out that, uh, you know, the, the other deck that I had described, uh, it's slower than that. Uh, on a better day, it gets online turn 14 or 15, and, uh, most of the time it's slower than the Native Village and Bridge deck, and it has issues with there not being enough bridges left to really do what it wants to do, and then it's forced to do bad things, and piles are low, and then whoops, the game is over. Well, the deck that you're describing and the native village bridge deck both have that, both are suffering from that not enough bridges thing, but they both actually solve it in the same way because crowns can kind of act as bridges, yeah. Well, I mean, the native village bridge deck, as described in the in the article, like the canonical one, it wants seven bridges, and it just buys a lot of bridges. Yeah, I mean, this one didn't have to do that with just bridges. The, the one, I mean, it doesn't have to, but, like, if I'm going for this Haunted Woods deck, I mean, I'm going to open bridge, but I'm probably not getting any more bridges until I'm drawing a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, if I want to, I need to have, like, maybe three or four bridges in my deck, and sometimes that's, they're, they're not there, and no amount of crowns is going to save me, because if I double two bridges, I've only played four, and what's that going to get me? Right. Um, it, it'll get you some crowns, which Woo! will get you to your mega turn eventually, just too little too late. The other well, thing... Well, you can't have a mega turn, because you can only crown two bridges. That's true enough as well. I mean, there's the idea that you can catch up with dominate points. That's hard to do, though. None of the payload here is great for it. The other thing that the Native Village Bridge just by itself deck has as an advantage here is a little bit more pile freedom and it's interesting to note why that why it has that pile freedom it's because the deck you're talking about is trashing its coppers and well it it doesn't trash the coppers it only trashes the coppers when it's really sad oh really it crypts them yeah i mean but like there's the deck that i'm talking about is more likely to be able to on an off turn, uh, right before the mega turn or whatever, piles are low. I just grab three coppers and then I'm safe from a, from a non points related pile. It, it doesn't hurt that. It doesn't hurt the native village bridge deck very much to just shove three coppers in it. 
Whereas the deck it, you're talking about doesn't yeah. want those coppers. It hurts a lot more, yeah, because yeah. if I want those coppers in out of my life, I have to draw them with a crypt. Yeah. And that's a pain in the butt. And if I want them in my life, then I have to draw them. And the draw here is Haunted Woods, which is, yeah. I mean, it's okay, but it's really not fantastic. Uh, so neither deck that we're talking about had Dominate as a plan A, right? I think yeah. your deck hit Dominate at one point as like a catch-up, as like a contingency, uh, just to keep... Yeah, but I wasn't happy about it. Right, exactly. So uh, the Dominate thing is is there for you if you need the catch-up points, but usually if you are Dominating, uh, something went wrong at some point. You're not really... Uh, playing to what your original game plan was. Yeah, I'm not really a big fan of ketchup. I'm more of a mayonnaise kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. And also just not being behind in the first place. That's even better than catching that's, up. That's yeah. mayonnaise. Yeah, but I don't like mayonnaise. Oh, seriously, I throw up whenever I eat. Oh, uh, we've talked about yeah. this, yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm sorry border, you feel that way. Borderline allergic. <laughs> but yeah. Well, that's really attractive. I'm glad you shared that with us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was the. I mean, the deck was interesting enough that like because you uh, wanted a bunch of native villages. Uh, eventually, that pile got low, so it becomes unsafe to take too many. But at the same time, you're grabbing moats because they're free at a certain point, and they're a decent card for the deck. So managing your terminal space was an interesting puzzle in itself. I mean, the native village bridge thing here was faster and better than it normally is because it had some support. Uh, yeah, I would say Fountain ended up being the biggest support for it. Yeah. Moat felt fine. I never got an Ironworks in my build, and never felt like I would have been faster if I had it, but I also don't feel like it would have slowed me down, so... Yeah, it's yeah. just another thing you can do, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, that was this board, and I think that we've answered most of our questions about it, but let us know if you have any questions about it, uh, and we'll upload our games as well. Let us know if um, maybe you see that we haven't tried something that you would have gone for, and uh, we can speak to that later. Sure. All right. Uh, well, so this episode, there's a couple of topics we're going to address. Uh, we're going to talk most of the time about Groundskeeper. But, before we get there, um, I did run a tournament this weekend, yeah. and I wanted to just say a couple words about it. I wrote up a blog post with a little more detail, including uh, the design kingdoms that saw play in that tournament and what I thought about them, so we'll link that post in the description. Now, before we actually talk about the tournament, I do want to actually just say thank you for hosting the tournament. I know how much work you put into it, and it was a lot of fun to play in it, and everyone there appreciated it. I can attest as one of the people... And I'm sure they would all agree. Yeah, I mean, the people who showed up, I think they had a good time. And, you know, I did put a lot of work into it. It ended up being way too much work. <laughs> Something unfortunate <laughs> did happen that involved the weather. A lot of people couldn't make it uh, because there was a snowstorm and they had to cut the tournament shorter than normal. So we, we only got to play half of what you had forecasted, right? Yeah, I was... Um, I mean, I w people come and they want to play the full tournament and they want to play a lot of dominion and you know we had to cut it short because the store was closing because of the, of the snow, snow. Storm, yeah so like i mean it, it was disappointing in that respect and, and also like i know there were a lot of people that wanted to come and couldn't for various reasons related <coughs> to this time of year uh, a lot of it was the snowstorm but you know it's flu season two and uh you know there are other other people that have commitments around this time of year so i mean I'm going to try, it's my 10th tournament, I'm going to try learning from it, and maybe we will try and not have them in winter anymore. We'll see what happens. 
the the future and scheduling of these tournaments is uh, a little bit in flux because I'm uh, working with RGG on a couple of ideas I have. We'll see if any of it works out. But None of this, of course, is to trivialize the performance of the winner who played very well. We did get through the full Swiss, right? Yeah, so uh, we had four games, basically, four Swiss games, and that ended up, ended up being it. Uh, he won all four of his games. He was the only one to do that. So, yeah, uh, you played know, very well. It was pretty clear that he was a, an outright winner, and uh, you know the other people who essentially went three and one, uh, they cashed as well and split the rest of the prize pool. So um, I did get an interview with the winner, and we're going to um, play that interview for you now. So uh, here it is. Hi Parker. Hi. Yeah, I think I think Parker was probably your toughest opponent, right? Probably. Yeah. He's uh, he's really good. He's actually rated pretty high on the leaderboard, almost level sixty. It's higher than me. Jake made an alt account, Parker Horton. And he's been playing. He's been playing that one exclusively for about a week. He's up to sixty now. Almost. I thought he was still like in the high seventies. Or sorry, high 50s. Uh, he was like 50, 40, he's 60. gotten up to level 60 before. Right now, Parker's account is almost at 60. Like, okay. if he keeps leveling up for a little bit longer, he'll probably get there. Because I mean, Jake can get to level 60. But he's just been playing on Parker's account. So, uh, how long does it take you to drive to the tournament? <laughs> how long a drive is that? For 30 minutes, yeah. 28 minutes, yeah. You get there safe. Wear your seatbelt? I did wear my seatbelt. It was a little longer because of the weather. Yeah. <laughs> driving driving respectfully on the highway. Gave myself a little extra time, too. Uh, it was, uh, unfortunately, I'd cut short, which is a bummer, but uh, it worked out for you because then it you did. just won. <laughs> Other than that I didn't think the last match counted, it counted a lot. <laughs> yeah, that'll teach you. Every game counts, huh? Yes. yes yeah, so, uh, so that game... Uh, yeah, why don't you tell me a little bit about that game? So it was this kingdom here. Transmute, Encampment with Plunder, Pearl Diver, Hermit, Leprechaun, Masterpiece, Treasure Map, Embassy, Jester, Market, and Plan. Yeah, so so sat down. I was 3-0 for a four-round Swiss. Um, thought we were cutting to top four. So knew that if I lost, I'd still probably qualify into top four. Um, and uh, went to grab, like, looked at the board, went to grab a drink, came back. We had put plan, which was pretty central to, like, thinning out your deck on, like, the far side yeah. of the setup. And then just didn't notice it anymore. Forgot Whoops. it existed. And then looked at it, also thought it was a design kingdom, which it wasn't. And had this realization that Adam's plan is that we would transmute our coppers into duchies and then trash them with hermit to get thin <laughs> which turned out was not at all adam's plan no that was uh, not my plan <laughs> but i started down that path <laughs> i did it once um and you then trash that duchy I, I did yeah nice uh but at this point i was like kind of floundering it, it, floundering like mentally in terms of like what do i possibly do i'm like rather far behind um where i should be uh, and my opponent decided that we should play a short game um, and, and got a few golds and just started provincing, and I said, well, great, I'm going to transmute duchies and see if I can catch up on this province thing, and ended up losing the province split like 5-3 and actually having six duchies in my deck at the end of the game wow. and like, inching it out by two points. So it did empty provinces. It did empty on provinces. Nice. And we emptied duchies. Yeah. Did you get down to the plunders, or did that We did. Um, I was doing it 
only so that my deck did something. Oh, yeah. My opponent was pretty money-heavy, and I was trying to play with some action cards, so I was buying encampments and returning encampments. Oh, yeah. Um, we actually did get four of the plunders out to each and ended up, I think, tying on plunder points, so they weren't super relevant. Okay. Uh, she got there first, but was a lot thicker, so I, I was able to get more plays out. Much, yeah. yeah. Alright. So, uh, was that your favorite kingdom, or was there, like, one you liked more? <laughs> That's not my favorite kingdom. Oh, okay. You sure? <laughs> no, um, favorite kingdom. So, I I have not played a lot of Renaissance, but I've seen the inventor oh, shenanigans yeah. that people are able to pull off. Um, lost the league match to a bunch, like, a, an inventor pileout that I did not think was possible. Yeah. So, there was a there was a design kingdom, Adam included, Adam included, which was built for... Um, a crazy inventor kind of province pile out with engineer support and a bunch of villagers support. Engineer, haven, lackeys, steward, inventor, patron, remodel, catacombs, courtier, fairgrounds, exploration, and canal. Yeah, uh, so you were the only person I saw that built that deck. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't know how to build that deck. <laughs> uh, I tend to underestimate villagers, so I took the like, you know, have faith approach to deck building, and and uh, we'll see what happens. And yeah, we, you went for it, and we you, got there. Yeah, you got six provinces in one turn and closed the game out from there. Did um, should have probably had eight, if, or like there were only seven at that point, but definitely like thought I had. I had one more inventor than I thought I had, and one less engineer than I thought I had. And oh, okay. Kinda, Botch that, um, and there were there were fairgrounds on that board, so there was like a threat of yeah. my opponent could have ground it back out. Um, although I had like two gold and a remodel, so that was kind of my super last province backup plan. Right. But um, but no, I actually was a little worried. And going in, I was highly tempted to just play like fairgrounds, you know, kind of not money, but just you know, use fairgrounds and provinces as the main play. There were no attacks. Yeah. There wasn't a lot interactive, but... Parker likes that plan. I think that's what he would have done. <laughs> that's what he would have done. Yeah. So, uh, I know you've uh, you've taken down second place in a lot of tournaments recently. Thank you. And uh, I gotta say, it uh, was probably frustrating. I mean, you're at, uh, at Worlds, taking second is really rough, because that's winner-take-all. Yeah. Uh, the one before that, uh, I mean, that worked out for you, because you got your bid for, mm-hmm. for Worlds there, because the first-place guy couldn't make it, and, you know, you cashed as well, so... That was a little better for you, but uh, how does it feel to finally have your first tournament win under your belt? Uh, feels good. Yeah, normally um, do really well in Swiss and then bomb out in some amount of the the playoffs. Yeah, uh, they did that at Worlds. You know, somehow qualified. I think with a pretty strong record, and then bombed out in the finals. Most of your tournaments do. Yeah, do really well in Swiss and just bomb out at the end. So it was good to kind of. Because we didn't have the very end, but still, like, end where... So it's you! You caused the winter storm, all right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it was very brave of you to come out. We had a lower turnout uh, than normal, and we actually had to cut the tournament format short. Yes. Uh, the finals, we were scheduled to do them, but uh, didn't end up doing them because uh, the game store was closing, uh, Snowpocalypse was coming, uh, but the, the brave ones came out, and uh, you... You managed to triumph that day. Did you play the triumph board? I did play the triumph board. Oh, yeah? Courtyard, Hamlet, Pawn, Guide, Market Square, Workshop, Cemetery, Hideout, Inn, Sculptor, with Triumph, and Bandit Fort. And I... No one else seemed to think the triumph plan was worthwhile, but... I mean, I designed that board around triumph. (laughs) 
that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> yeah. Definitely, because I asked everyone, I made that same pun. You know, did you triumph on that board? And they're like, no, I went, uh, I went gold and silver in my provinces. There was Bandit Fort here, so, uh, you know, there's a potential flaw with that plan. But, uh, there's Bandit Fort, there were, so there was that, and then there were a bunch of weird, weak gains. There's, you know, hideout, <laughs> trash estates to gain curses as an extra gain that you would then later trash. There was Sculptor, there was, you know, ponds and hamlets and... Market squares. Market squares. Yeah, I mean, you could you could easily get six, seven gains in a turn and make it work. Yeah. Uh, draw was pretty tough to come by there, but uh, you could make it happen on some turns if yeah. you wanted. Yeah. You could ghost every other turn. That was about the only way to go. Yeah. get anywhere. Yeah. So the trophy match, yeah. Uh, we have not played that yet. Um, I want you to know I'm three and one in trophy matches. Who'd you lose to? Uh, Kevin Thompson. Oh. He, he's uh, from the north... Eastern Ohio area-ish. Uh, he, he comes down when he can, but it's a bit of a drive. It's a little more than four hours for him. Uh, but he's won two of my tournaments, and one of them during the trophy match era. Uh, we played a game. It's actually on video on the YouTube channel. Okay. Um, he uh, he picked out the kingdom for that one because it seemed hey. interesting, and you know he knew what he was doing. He, he outplayed me. He did really well. Uh, so, what do you think you're gonna do for the trophy match? Are you gonna like YOLO full random, or are you gonna cook up something, or what are you gonna do? I mean, if I'm playing fair, I'd probably just YOLO full random and see where it gets us. <laughs> right? I mean, taking it into a design kingdom that I've practiced seems a little unfair. Although it occurred to me we could use one of those like pre-made turn one win boards. Yeah. Stack the deck and then just yeah. You know, I'll allow stack you could deck. Watch deck me win. Yeah. Yeah, like that. You just know, empty be, the empty the supply turn one games. So, so just just to be clear, the current empty the supply on turn one uh, uses an infinite loop, and the output of that infinite loop is a boon. Yeah, every thirteen you get one extra game. Well, so the problem is that's that hasn't been fully proven out though, because there are two boons that stay out until cleanup, and they're the ones that give you money and buys. So you actually have to use the Earth's Gift, discard a treasure to gain a card up to yep. four. Now, everything in the supply costs low enough you can gain it, but you have to draw cards, and the order of the boons can come up such that you don't net cards, especially because you're close to drawing your deck and the Wind's Gift is out. So the order of boons can mess with you, and I will make you play it out. <laughs> Just so you know. And if you want to do that, I mean, we can't do that online, so you're going to have to come over, which yeah, is fine. Uh, do you want to do you want to do it online IRL? You have any more ideas for what you want to do with this? No, we probably just yolo full random. Yeah, make it happen. Is that your style? You can like force a card in, or you know anything well, like that. No, I mean, so I enjoyed when people have started making the comment of uh, sets in the wild. Okay, you're know, like, oh, when I see this in the wild, it's always fun to whatever, right? Like as a sure, yeah. I've enjoyed that term a lot. So yeah, no, let's I'm, a wild set appear, a wild kingdom appear. And then I guess the other strategy was the tilt Adam strategy, which is include every all the cards that you ban at tournaments, like in one set, and then yeah. chaos will ensue. I mean, the trophy match is for people to have fun. I want you to have fun. If you earn this, you have fun. Uh, you can have fun in whatever way you want. Uh, if you want to have fun by tormenting me, I will be a willing participant, and I will get salty at things you want me to get salty at. I'm a human being. You give me inputs, I give you outputs, right? It's That's not too complicated, but... Uh, if you you can have fun doing full random if you want a, a friendly competition. You can have fun with certain cards you like. A lot of different ways you can choose to do it. If you want to, uh, and, and that's all fine. My pride is on the line, and I'm willing to, uh, for the sake of your fun, expend some of that pride. 
So uh, I imagine we'll. Uh, I mean, I don't know when we're gonna do it because uh, my domain sets are a mess right now. But I'm sure it'll happen soon. Uh, the scout trophy. I didn't bring it down here, but uh, I can use the wood burner real quick and uh, throw your name on there. There we go. And uh, eventually you'll get the nameplate. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's Ryan. That's the winner. Uh, pretty much everything was said in there. A couple of the design kingdoms were mentioned in there. One of them wasn't designed, but uh, I had actually designed four kingdoms for the finals that never saw play because we had to cut the tournament short. Um, the blog post that is linked uh, has a link to a Google Sheet which has all of the kingdoms. So if you want to, you can go in there. And uh, you can look at the finals kingdoms and you can play them or, or theorycraft about them. I don't want to spoil those kingdoms, so if you want to play them, that's cool. But uh, we may do some content based on those kingdoms. I don't know what the content's going to look like, because I can't imagine many people that want to play me in those kingdoms, because I have a unfair advantage. I haven't played them, though. I've never even I haven't even looked at them. Yeah. So I will play you in these kingdoms, yeah. and uh, I'll tell Adam what I did. And he'll be like, no, you were supposed to do this other thing. Yeah, and you then can make like a video on it, and then yeah. I can do a coaching video about the thing that I wanted you to do and how you're not doing it. That would be really interesting, actually. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's there's four kingdoms. I uh, put a lot of work and playtesting into them. I think they're cool. I think they're interesting. Uh, three of them, at least, are fun. So that's cool. That's good. <laughs> that's what we want out of a Dominion Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. A variety of experiences. Yes. Most of them fun. Most of them fun. Yeah. I'm really curious about what this fourth one is. Yeah. It's kind of the first one I want to play now. Yeah. Find out what you're well, talking about. Let me just put it this way. I normally put Urchin on my ban list for the tournaments. Oh, God. Because I don't want the game to be decided on turn three or turn four by who collides urchins and who doesn't. So I put sure. save in it, right? And woo, that fixes it. Well, the other thing you can do with that is just put some other good trashing in. Um, like not here. Okay, I believe you. <laughs> I I am reserving judgment until I get to see this. Yeah. So uh, maybe there will be something to come based on that. Uh, but you know, that's uh, that's something in the future, and maybe it'll be there, and you'll probably hear about it <laughs> at some point. Uh, I want to thank all the people who came out. There were still some people that traveled a decent ways to come to the tournament, uh, and that involved driving in some snow. That's not something I would have done for a card game tournament. Now, I mean, I'm local. It was only a 20-minute drive for me to get there, and, you know, of course I was going to go, but, like, driving up from Columbus, Chicago area, Michigan, like... Yeah. People did that, and they still came to the tournament. And the fact that there are 13 people that die hard about the game, like, I'm trying as hard as I can to consider this a success, given everything that happened. And, like, there are a lot of things to be happy about. Sure. I mean, there are definitely, like, this... It certainly could have gone a lot worse than it did. And, like, there are other tournaments out there that people would consider successes that go worse than this one did. So, like, I consider a success if I were you as well. Yeah, I remember I the first even, Yeah. Hmm? I remember I the first one that I hosted, like I had nine people and we played like four games because we had nine people. Yeah. And like I considered that amazing and it was. And here I am disappointed at thirteen and playing four games. So sure. like I guess I should be thankful <laughs> for anyway. Yeah. Well you've put a lot of work into uh, building up your tournaments and your reputation as an organizer to the point that you have this base, so you know, your blessings are, are there, and next tournament, when 
you don't get screwed over by a snowstorm, I'm sure it'll be all the better. Yeah, I imagine it will. I guess I have a whole village of, of blessings, or boons, as a it whole, were. A whole blessed village Yeah. with the boon. All right, let's... Groundskeeper. Yeah, um, cool. Yeah, so, so that's a card. Yeah, so this is a card. Um, this is one of my favorite cards in the game. It's my favorite card from Empires, and I when as soon as this came card came out, it's... It just kind of captivated me from a design standpoint. Like, there's a there's a lot of really interesting stuff about this card, and it does really interesting things to kingdoms you put it in. Yeah, I remember playtesting. You would beat me a lot with this card. It's, it's a good card. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this card sucks. Yeah, but it turns out turns out it doesn't suck. Yeah, yeah like you you didn't think it was very good in playtesting, right? Yeah, and I then, thought it was just kind of mediocre. Right. Oops. Well, and, and what is it really? It's it's something uh, that you come away with thinking it's a really powerful card, and it's not something you can skip very often. It's not something you can never skip. We'll get into that. But there are some fat. I mean, it, it's really rare. You have to go into it with the assumption that you're going to be going for groundskeepers and then look for reasons not to rather than the other way around. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, why don't we read the text as bad boy? Sure. Or bad girl, as the case might be on the artwork. Sure. Uh, Groundskeeper is a five-cost action. It is a cantrip, meaning the top uh, text is plus one card, plus one action. And the big deal about it is the bottom line text, which is, while this is in play, when you gain a victory card, plus one point. And that point is a VP chip. It's not going in your deck. It's plus one point. So uh, what is this card, essentially? This card is VP. It's kind of like uh, a source of alt-VP. You can pretend it's a green card if you want to, yeah? Yeah, it's like points that you don't get right away, but they don't make your deck worse. Yeah, and like, it's... Or rather, they don't decrease the control of your deck. This is not a stock card, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't take up a slot in your hand, because you're just going to draw a new one. Uh, so you put this card in your deck, and it doesn't really do anything to it. Your deck control neutral. But then your deck has the capacity to score more points because of it. So this assumption that these points are making your deck worse over the course of the game that you usually start with in a game Dominion is uh, not necessarily the case with Groundskeeper, because even though the points will eventually make your deck worse, uh, you don't have to score them right away. Groundskeeper can be like delayed scoring. It can be putting Groundskeepers in your deck and understanding that that's tantamount to having the points as long as you get a turn with them. Uh, yeah, so, like, you're not... Uh, when you buy the Groundskeeper, you don't get the points. You have to play the Groundskeeper and then buy a Victory Point card. So, uh, but, like... Or gain it somehow. Right, right. <clears throat> so, uh, this is a this is a lot of points. Like, Can be. It's not hard to get, like, 55 points yeah. from Groundskeepers. And, like... Normally in Dominion games, you don't score fifty-five points. That's a it's lot. Hard. That's a lot more than you score in most games. So, like the fact that it's not hard to score more points than most people do in a game uh, means that this is a lot of points, and it's really tough to ignore. I think, like you can just do some. You can just do some quick math. I, I think it, it messes with like the point efficiency of victory cards in an interesting way. It really does. So, like, it used to be, it, without Groundskeeper, if if I don't have many provinces left and I'm looking to score a lot of points with other victory point cards, I would have to get something like six estates to equal one of those provinces. And that's a pain in the butt. That's six cards in my deck I have to draw, and that's $12 and six buys I have to spend. And all that is terrible. 
and it's the same points as one province, but if I have some groundskeepers in play, then just getting two estates can be the same number of points as getting one province with the same number of groundskeepers in play. So it's just about quantity of green cards and not about quality anymore. And usually there's a pile of estates right there for you. Yeah, I mean, there's the estate pileout, and like Adam said, groundskeepers can be a huge quantity of points, but that's not necessarily the only reason that it's good as a point source, right? It's like, it's a lot of points, but it's also points that you can just be putting into your deck without changing what the deck is doing in, in any way at all. You can just be, if the opponent doesn't pressure you to do something else, you can just get a bunch of groundskeepers and get enough to the point that like your point ceiling is insurmountable at that point. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you, you have to put a green card in your deck eventually in order to actually get the VP tokens, which, barring cases where the green card is like a, a mill or something <clears throat> that you actually want in your deck... Assuming that that's not happening, uh, you know, you always have the option of just buying some card, like an estate, to get the VP tokens, and then later on trashing that estate so that now you have these VP tokens, right, and, and then yeah, you, do, exactly. you don't have a worse deck for it. Now, And I guess if you're doing yeah. that, like, good for you, sounds like you're going to win the game. <laughs> right, it does. The thing is that... Groundskeeper being on the board tells you something else, too. It tells you that uh, you can build for longer, because you start with this usual assumption in a game of Dominion, that uh, this dynamic, that if you take longer to build your deck to have better turns, your opponent might get a points lead on you. And to come back from a points lead, you need to deplete key piles yourself, like provinces. Like, if they already have five provinces... You need to get those three yourself, and then those three are gone, and you've got to figure something else out. So the thing about Groundskeeper is that it scores points disproportionate to how much it actually lowers the piles. Like you said, it, it plays with the efficiency of these green cards in a way that enables really wider catch-ups. So, you know, that... Uh, you've referred before to the 50% VP win condition, hmm. where you uh, get... 50% of the VP that was in the supply, and the opponent just can't come back from you. With the groundskeeper out, that that's not a thing. The opponent can always, you know, have some kind of catch-up to you. Yeah, if I'm going to get so many points that they can't catch up with groundskeepers, I'm, I'm having to empty pretty much every victory point card from the supply. Right. And it's easier to just <clears throat> empty the provinces than to do that in most cases. So, so I can't, like, get seven provinces and then just, like use duchies to limp across the finish line. I can't do that. I yeah. have to end the game if I'm playing against a groundskeeper deck. Exactly. And if I can't do that in a timely fashion, uh, well, I should probably be going for groundskeeper in that case. Exactly, and that's that's usually the takeaway you come away with, is that you should be going for groundskeeper yourself, because those things you set, just described, th- those are hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do it. Now, like... This this question becomes, like, should I be going for Groundskeeper? And we said that the answer is usually yes, but I think we can be a little more specific. Uh, and I think it ties back into some of the points we made in last episode when we were talking about Megaturns. Okay, it's all about the payload? Yes, except what I actually mean is that <laughs> uh, we talked before about how there are these, like, two kinds of, of scoring... Uh, basically, there are mega turn endgame scores where all the greening uh, kind of happens at once, 
and the rest is just a building phase. And then there's the kind of tug of war scoring that's like back and forth. Like I get points and you get points. Okay. Well, what I'm getting at here is that Groundskeeper really excels and is necessary during those kind of tug of war scoring matches where the scoring is gradual. Because you have time for the groundskeepers to do their thing? You have time for the groundskeepers to do their thing. The points are... You're scoring in excess of what you actually have to host in your deck, so groundskeepers have that other advantage, and you can just be biding your time at these things that are not stop cards. And and like I said, getting groundskeepers is kind of tantamount to scoring. So if you look at that as greening, uh, this kind of of tug-of-war thing really is advantageous to the groundskeepers. Whereas... In something more like a pure mega turn, you think about the other end of the spectrum where somebody is just scoring all the points at once, they just have this building phase and then they uh, empty the provinces with bridge troll or three pile or whatever. Uh, They obviously would not say no to free groundskeepers, but the groundskeepers don't help you do that and the, the groundskeeper deck doesn't have its usual advantages against a deck that doesn't have to have VP in its deck in the first place. So... The reason why Groundskeeper is a good card is because it allows you to have a better deck as you're greening because you're getting VP tokens. I mean, that's what VP token cards do. Right. And if the game is over too fast, then you don't get to have that value. And in terms of, like, building, like, getting a Groundskeeper isn't going to help your payload... It's not going to help your point total right away. So, like, if you're not getting that value out of the card, then, uh, you know, you probably should be going for a mega turn that ends the deck fast, right? So there's there's this time until the end of the game. If there's more of it, I can get value out of my groundskeepers. This isn't saying that you don't get groundskeepers if you plan to buy provinces, but if you are planning to empty provinces over the course of, like, two or fewer turns... A lot of the times, something that helps you do that faster is a better investment than, the, than just getting a groundskeeper that helps you get more points. Hmm. Mega turns, like what we described, they tend to care more about... They don't care so much about like the total quantity of points they end up with or how their deck handles with points in it. Uh, the things that groundskeeper is really good at, they don't care. So like when the closer you get to a mega turn, the less important groundskeepers are. And it's a spectrum like that. Yeah, just... Just like all of Dominion. Yeah. And life. Yeah, and life. Yeah. And my education. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so. so if I'm looking for things to enable this deck of groundskeepers, yeah. um, I'm thinking that I want to have a decent amount of groundskeepers. I think I'm looking for ways to gain more than one groundskeeper in a turn. Yes. So if I can only get one groundskeeper in a turn, uh, well, that makes me pretty sad. And, like, yeah. that's, it's going to be hard to... It's going to be hard to build that deck very fast because chances are I'm not going to be able to get like a lot of other stuff in a turn. Like if I'm just getting a province instead of a groundskeeper, then I'm probably going to be doing better than the guy who gets five groundskeepers and then three provinces. I mean, the, it, it depends on a lot. Up. It depends on a lot what you're saying though. Like even if you can only get one groundskeeper in a turn, uh, if the opponent is ignoring groundskeepers and you're not. Uh, then the opponent is is declaring that they can empty provinces before you can get enough groundskeepers to make, uh, you know, these these duchies or estates or whatever that you're getting instead of the provinces that you're missing out on worth enough points. And, like, the provinces usually need to empty pretty quickly for that to happen. Like, I agree with what you're saying, that groundskeeper loves multiple gains, and if you can either get multiple groundskeepers in a turn or 
you can get multiple green cards with your Grand's Keepers out. Uh, one, either one of those two things pretty much signals to you. The focus here is groundskeepers. But just because you don't have either of those things doesn't make groundskeeper necessarily something that you could ignore in the process. I mean, I'm not going to say that groundskeeper's bad on every board that doesn't have a way to gain multiple groundskeepers <clears throat> or multiple, multiple victory cards, but like, it's really tough for me. You're going to have to... It's certainly worse in those cases. I'll, I'll agree with you on that. It's hard for me to imagine a board where groundskeeper is going to be good, where you can't do either of those things. Well, at that point, I, I start to consider it a little bit the way I do distant lands, uh, because I think about it as the source of points that's actually uh, increasing my score overall by the end of the game, but it's not making my deck any worse. So I start doing that instead of greening at first, and I end up with about the same point total as if I had started greening earlier, but I have this better deck in the meantime. And I have access to more points uh, total as, as by the end of the game because I have a, this higher point ceiling because I have access to these two-point estates or these four-point duchies or, or more that you just don't have access to if you're not going for groundskeepers. And sure. that puts me in a different position. Yeah. So an important part of that is that you're going to be... I think you assume <clears throat> that that deck is going to be able to play all or most of its groundkeepers every turn. This is a really good point that you're getting into, and I agree. Uh, what you're talking about is uh, what I would call just reliability of the Groundskeeper deck. And when I'm talking about reliability with Groundskeeper, I'm just talking about being able to play your Groundskeepers really often. That's really important if you're investing in this. Sure, so like drawing the whole thing or using a warehouse or something to find more Groundskeepers. Whatever makes it so you can play all of them or most of them every turn... Uh, that's gonna. I mean, that's important for a deck like this. It, it seems critical if I have to take all of this time to build up a deck that can, you know, only get one groundskeeper per turn and then still have a chance. I'm gonna be need to get, needing to get maximum value in all the other ways out of these out of these groundskeepers. I think getting more groundskeepers in a turn is the most important thing. Getting multiple victory cards in a turn is the next most important thing. Yeah. And then past that, it's. Can I build a deck that plays Groundskeeper more often? And uh, I think those are the three main pieces of support that I'm yeah. looking for to make Groundskeeper into something better. Sure, that, that's very true. Uh, those are all things that you look for. And those are, those are good considerations when you are deciding whether or not to be going for these groundskeepers, or rather, how hard to be going for these groundskeepers, how much of a priority to make it. Um, in the, on the other hand, uh, let's say that you've already decided that the groundskeepers are good. Yeah? and I did it. Awesome. And so you're playing uh, a mirror, right? And that's, uh, you, you and your opponent are both doing it. So that that plays a little a little different because then you start looking at things like the split. Mirrors get weird in Dominion. Yeah, so I said that groundskeepers are kind of tantamount to scoring. So like that would imply that you do it uh, right before or around the time when you would just be getting points. But like, if your opponent's going to be contesting groundskeepers, ending up with fewer of them than your opponent does. Uh, puts you in a worse position because having even one more groundskeeper than you do gives him him or her uh, a much higher point ceiling just and that scales with how many vp cards they can gain per turn because i said before that i have access to these like three point estates and four point duchies that you don't that's equally true if they have access to these seven point duchies that i don't because i don't have as many groundskeepers as they do 
what this gets into is the split of groundskeepers. Like, how many can you get on your opponent? Sometimes it's worth uh, screwing your other deck priorities to quote-unquote dive to win the groundskeeper split in that case. So, I mean, if I decided groundskeeper is good and my opponent decided the same, then I would think that for the same reason that groundskeeper is good, I would want more groundskeepers... It's not like one of those cards that I can just put one of in my deck and be happy. It's one of those cards I want to put a lot of in my deck. Yeah. So, I mean, that will naturally lead you to wanting to win the split. Uh, but, like, how important would you say it is to win the groundskeeper split as opposed to some other split where, uh, you know, maybe maybe a governor split or like a minion split or something. Like, is a 6-4 governor split going to be game decisive? Well, I mean, it's inconvenient, but how... Depends. Is that more... Well, it depends on a lot. And the easy way to answer that question is what's going to help you play more groundskeepers. Is it having more groundskeepers? Or is it one of these other splits you're talking about? So, like, if we're talking about the wharf split... Uh, and, uh, and we've got village support or whatever, uh, then, you know, maybe the wharf split is more important because the wharf split is what's ultimately going to be letting me play more groundskeepers than my opponent than just having more groundskeepers is. So in that case, just think about what's actually helping you play the groundskeepers. Having the groundskeepers is great, but remember that they don't actually do anything for your deck, and usually the deck control is what you want to be uh, focusing on first. So the fact that groundskeeper is a card that doesn't hurt your deck control kind of contributes to this idea. Like, it's not one of those terminal payload cards, or it's not one of those stop cards. I don't have to worry about drawing more groundskeepers. I just... I, I want to build a deck that can get a lot of them, and then once I built that deck, I shove the groundskeepers in, and I hope that I get more of them. But I'm not necessarily worried about, like, sure. drawing my deck at that point, because I'm just going to be doing whatever I was before with a couple of cantrips thrown in. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I, ideally, I guess it looks like I build up to a certain point, and then I get the groundskeepers, and then I green, right? Yeah, that's what it usually looks like. The decision to do it and how much to do it, how many groundskeepers you get before you start greening, though, all of that is really, really crunchy and contextual. It's really hard to give much, like, prescriptive advice of, like, get this many groundskeepers before you start greening, or think about these things, because it's all so dependent on the game state. So... I mean, we, we've talked about end game play in a couple of different contexts, right? Yeah. And, you know, in, the, in those conversations about end game play, you know, we sort of glossed over the fact that, oh, well, you we have to draw those green cards. But you're thinking about the same types of things. Normally, my goal is to win the province split. And yeah. let's say I can have one of them, or I can build to get two, or, or you know, I, I can start greening now, or I can let my opponent get first stab at it, like... What are the things that are better for me here? And so there is that layer of of that kind of dancing. Like, there's a finite pile of things. My opponent wants them, and I can get so many. Do I build more to be able to get two a turn? Sure. And, and what's going to end? So, like, similar calculations exist there for Groundkeeper. But then there's, like, when do I stop? Yeah, and the, that's really weird, and it's hard to say because, like, we talk I'm not about- looking at the same thing remotely. Yeah, the groundskeeper split that we referenced earlier, uh, that kind of implies that they're going to run out, and somebody's going to have more of them than the other. But like when you're talking about the groundskeeper split, you're talking about 
A groundskeeper game implies that like piles are going to get low. At least the groundskeeper pile is. And these other piles that are helping you play the groundskeepers are going to be low too. So a lot of the time, we keep talking about how important the groundskeepers are and having more than your opponent is, and yet you'll be surprised how many games you play where that pile doesn't empty because you're one of you just can't really get the last groundskeeper or two because it would be committing pile suicide. So, like, the split, the effective split, doesn't become how many groundskeepers were available, period, because how many groundskeepers can you actually get without shooting yourself in the foot and letting your opponent pile on their turn? So, like, I think the beginning of what you said, I, I think you... you I want to clarify that a little bit. Yeah. When we talk about other card splits in Dominion, a lot of the time it's because there's a limited supply of them. Even in some cases... If there was an infinite pile, we might be going for longer than 10, right? We, we want to add those cards to our deck, and there's just not enough of them to go around. Yeah. In Groundskeeper's case, sure, that can happen. But at the same time, like, if I only get four Groundskeepers, it's not like my deck is going to be worse. It's not like I have this deck control problem, or even necessarily a payload problem, because I do have some recourse. Because I can try and get provinces. I can maybe even get an initiative on getting provinces. And maybe I have some recourse there. Yeah. I mean, even if I'm at a disadvantage because I got less groundskeepers, I still might be able to do something there. So so at any point when I'm just spamming these groundskeepers and, uh, you know, I'm at that point in the game, you can't just click on the pile till it's gone. You have to do that calculation every turn. I want to actually go through an example here that comes from the Groundskeeper article I wrote, which I'm sure we can link in the description here. Uh, But this example comes from that. Just a typical scenario you may be faced with in a Groundskeeper game. Uh, We're going to say that Anna uh, doesn't have any Groundskeepers, um, but she buys the first province on her turn. And her opponent, Destry, goes through his turn, also no points yet, uh, gets to $15 and three buys. And he's thinking about what he should do. Uh, so obviously, he should buy a copper so he can get yeah. sixteen. Well, right. And then two curses for so, style points. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Okay, so we talked about Anna just got the first province, so she got province initiative. We call it. So if Destry doesn't start provincing right now, he's probably only going to get three provinces, just because Anna got went first. And if Destry doesn't follow suit, he's probably not going to get his quote-unquote share is four provinces so if he only gets three provinces to anna's five and he is going to go for groundskeepers instead he needs uh those groundskeepers to amount to uh 13 points in addition to the three provinces that he's going to get as well uh in order to win right so like we're talking about he's got this 15 and three buys and he's thinking about what to do with it He's not going to invest it in provinces, groundskeepers. He needs that to pay off in the form of 13 additional points. And then green is normal. So we assume that he's going to need at least four VP cards to have a chance anyway. So let's assume, like, worst case scenario, he's only going to get four VP cards throughout the course of the rest of this game. And this is, like, as conservative as you can get for the groundskeepers. So he will need to have two or three or 2.5 groundskeepers in in play across those four VP gains to win by getting a duchy instead of that uh, fourth province. So he gets three provinces in the duchy instead, and that beats uh, Anna's five provinces. Or, uh, so he, if he can get uh, four groundskeepers in play... 
across all of his VP gains. Maybe he has one from before. He can get another one or what have you. Uh, then he can win with those three provinces and an estate. Uh, so you think about, like, what should he do in that situation? And uh, I don't have an answer to that, and neither do you, because that implies a lot of context uh, that we, we haven't really gone over in that scenario. Be- the What I want you to take away from it isn't so much that there's an answer here, it's that these are calculations you need to make, and that all of it comes down to how many times you are going to be able to play those groundskeepers. If he can play them every turn, then he's best served with those 15 and 3 buys by just getting 3 groundskeepers, because those are really going to like maximize his score. Whereas if he is uh, sloggy uh, to the point that he's going to miss playing his groundskeepers uh, once or twice, he may be better off going like, duchy groundskeeper groundskeeper or or province groundskeeper or something and it gets closer to being like province duchy or triple duchy the the more sloggy his deck is the less reliable it is that he's actually going to play those yeah it goes back to two of the three of those biggest support points you you just said you want to be able to play all your groundskeepers every turn yes and then the other thing is that you want to be you know gaining victory cards ideally you'd want to be gaining multiple victory cards per turn, but, like, uh, you want to, to have time to, to do that. I mean, you want to you want to be gaining victory cards with groundskeepers in play and getting enough points to justify putting the groundskeepers in your deck instead of other green cards. And so, you, like, time yeah. until the game is over multiplied by how many groundskeepers I can expect to play before the game is over, like, that's the value you can get out of your groundskeepers. And, and if I'm fast enough and I can get to that, then, sure, I'll get more points this way. It's important to be thinking that way, but put yourself back in Destry's seat making that assumption where he, let's say he can get multiple green cards a turn like you just mentioned. That's obviously much more favorable math to Groundskeeper, but remember that the the green cards being put into the deck are making it less reliable in the process and in keeping it from getting the Groundskeepers if he can't host them. Right, so even if it's close, you have to also consider the fact that like you're going to have a better deck for at least a couple of turns and potentially more endgame options if you get these groundskeepers because you're adding a cantrip into your deck instead of green cards. Uh, so you're not gonna you're not gonna run into those same issues that we normally gloss over when we're talking about endgame sure. play because like by the time Anna gets her fourth or fifth province, who's to say she's going to be a hundred percent consistent? Right. Yeah, exactly. So, whereas if Destry has just been getting a groundskeeper advantage instead of a proper points advantage, he might be able to make up that points advantage, and his deck has not gotten any worse at all. Or and and then when it starts to get worse, yeah, uh, you know he has some percentage of groundskeepers he can at least play, or uh, you know he's. It's not like this isn't something that he would be going through anyway. It's sure. just now that he now he has these groundskeepers in his deck. And they're making more points. And if he gets a lot of them, even if he can't play them all, you know he's still going to be in a better shape once they, they've somewhat equalized. Yeah. Now, we talked a little bit before about... Oh, and by the way, if that uh, example was really weird to just get across, uh, you know, phonetically, uh, feel free to check it out in the article as well. Maybe it'll make more sense just reading through it. But that was just to give you sort of an insight into the calculations you might find yourself doing. Now, the aspect of groundskeepers uh, gets a little different when you are maybe not being mirrored. And what I mean by that is the opponent is either ignoring groundskeeper to do something else, 
or they are uh, maybe just not going for groundskeeper as hard as you are. And that, that plays a little differently, I think. Uh, just in general, you need to be apprised of what your opponent is doing to end the game and not just uh, play the way you would if you were you know, playing in a vacuum or against a bot or something. You really have to... I mean, this, is, this advice... I mean, it's fine advice for Groundskeeper, but like I think this applies to all of Dominion. Yes. And actually uh, all, all of, of life. Life, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah so like the Groundskeepers... You are getting a lot of them, right? But remember that Groundskeeper has time on its side. Uh, so if you are uh, not being mirrored, if, if the opponent is doing something else, usually as a Groundskeeper-focused uh, player, you kind of just want to stall the game out if you can, because over time, your point ceiling is probably going to overshadow theirs. And a lot of the time, that means you don't empty Groundskeepers yourself, too. Like... The thing is... Oh, yeah, if there's low piles, yeah. Yeah, the, it, lowers the, it lowers the groundskeeper pile, and it also just takes more time to do. So a lot of the time, you don't necessarily play to groundskeepers the same way you would in, like, a mirror. Like, I kind of compare it to plunders, like we came back to last episode. Mm-hmm. We talked about how uh, if you get four plunders, there's not always a huge incentive to actually get that fifth one. Because, like, you still... Even if the opponent gets it or pivots into getting it or whatever... The damage is done. Like you have no real reason to put that in your deck or spend time doing it. You still have the advantage of these scaling points, and I think the same is true of groundskeeper. Right. Uh, so yeah, the the plunder example and the groundskeeper. You have uh, inevitability. Yeah. So like the longer the game goes, the more you're going to be favored. Some people call it inevitability, but yeah, that's the that's the concept. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about what Groundskeeper's strengths and weaknesses are, uh, when you can go for it, when you can maybe ignore it, and um, what you do with that is, of course, going to be very contextual based on your games. Just, like, pay attention, you know? Yeah. <laughs> do That's it. also advice that. for all of Dominion and life. If you're driving, if you're driving so, right yeah. now, pay attention. Pay attention to the road. Oh, my God. Okay, so, like, we got a lot of snow, right? Yeah. At least six inches. And there are people driving on the road. Yeah. <laughs> there are people driving on the road who, like, you know, had their cars parked outside in the snow. They brush off the windshield, and then they're going. They've got six inches of snow on their hood, six inches of snow on their roof, and they're driving. I'm not going to let you walk out and see my car. But I, I judge people <laughs> so hard when they do that because, like, yeah. the snow is coming off the car as they're driving, getting Certainly. in the face of the person behind them. Not if it's on their car. hood, it goes <laughs> and it blocks your own view. Like, how freaking lazy are you? The only thing I can excuse is, like, those semi-trucks because, like, you yeah. can't get up there. I saw, like, a male... Tr- okay, anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't like snow. Okay, snow is stupid, and I'm really salty about snow over my whole life, but especially right now. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, <laughs> so we're going to let Adam simmer down a little bit here, but uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about... <laughs> we're also going to talk a little bit about a kingdom that we're going to play out that has groundskeepers in it. Uh, we're going to talk about how we think that kingdom is going to play, and... Uh, first, we should read the cards in it. Yeah, go nuts, man. So, this kingdom has Overlord, Poorhouse, Sage, Secret Cave, Baron, Talisman, Groundskeeper, Royal Carriage, 
Vault Raider, and it also has the project Guild Hall, and also of note, because we have a Secret Cave, one of our starting coppers is replaced with Magic Lamp. Touch nothing but the lamp. Yeah, that. Uh, so once more for our audio-only listeners, we have Overlord, Poorhouse, Sage, Secret Cave, Baron, Talisman, Groundskeeper, Royal Courage, Vault, and Raider. We also have the Project Guildhall, and one of our starting coppers is replaced with Secret Lamp. So, uh... That combo, Guildhall and the good old Pobre Casa. You know it, man. (laughs) Yeah. Guildhall Poorhouse, yeah. This is interesting. This This is really interesting. I mean... This kingdom is pulling you in a few different directions. Uh, we have some really strong money enablers. We have Vault, great for money. We have Guildhall, great for money. Yeah. Uh, we have Super Ill. Talisman, not great for money, but maybe with Guildhall. <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically Vault and Guildhall. And well, I don't think there's much don't know. else going on. Well, like, could can you justify if you're playing vanilla money, getting a Talisman to get extra coppers with Guildhall? I don't know. It's probably mm, bad. No. I, do, I don't know. No. Uh, Adam's not. Oh, and Baron's pretty decent for money, I guess. Yeah, it's fine. Good old Baronio. <laughs> Good old Baron. Yeah. Yep. But then there's also Groundskeeper, which is pushing you pretty hard away from money. I, and I think that without Groundskeeper here, this is a money board. But with Groundskeeper here, it's more interesting. You have to think. I mean, if you go for money and the opponent instead goes for Groundskeepers, we have that, di- that dynamic we described earlier where... They haven't made their deck any worse, and if they can catch up because they have groundskeepers, they have a better deck and the same amount of points. You're in a you're in a bad spot. So, what do you think? How do you think that plays out here? So I'm looking for enablers for groundskeeper. Uh, I'm looking for a way to get more than one groundskeeper in a turn, and Baron's there for you. It can give you plus buy, so that's not mm-hmm. crazy. Well, uh, yeah, it's hard though because you're talking about getting ten and two buys, and it's not super easy on this kingdom. Uh, I mean, sure, and and there's also lamp. wish, yeah. So Logic you can lamp you can it, wish yeah. for groundskeepers. So those are those are ways to get more than one groundskeeper turn. Uh, I'm looking for ways to get more than one VP card in a turn, and Baron is also uh, star of the show there. So you mm-hmm. can either gain an estate, which is terrible, or you can like discard an estate and then you know get another I mean, buy and buy another victory point card. Gaining the estate is not terrible if you have a bunch of groundskeepers to play, though. You know, like. If you have... You could just discard the estate and then buy an estate. Yeah, Or buy right. a duchy or something. Like, unless well, you're trying to gain if, as many estates as possible, I would only do that when I'm ending the game. Sure, what I'm saying is that if the Baron... If, if your draws don't work out and the Baron doesn't line up with an estate, you're maybe not so sad if you have the groundskeepers in play because you're getting, like, five points off of it. It's a nice consolation prize. Sure. Uh, I'm just concerned at the fact that there's no trashing. Yeah. There's no thinning, really. So, And that's what makes this interesting. <laughs> because yeah. you got to be careful. Because like, every time I put one of those green cards in my deck, it's there forever. And uh, it's going to be hard for me to play my groundskeepers more often. Like The, the only thing that I see here that's going to help me do that is Sage... So it can well, skip over coppers yeah. and estates, but it doesn't skip over duchies and provinces. The I think that this board 
I am assuming that Groundskeeper is going to be, like, Vault Money. And that's not something I'm convinced of, because Vault Money is decent. I, vault, I vault actually... Vault Money. I'm going to take the side of the money deck here. Oh, yeah. Part of that's going to be different. I think it's close. I kind of like... And I definitely underestimate Groundskeeper chronically, so... Uh, you know, I, I could prepare to be wrong here, but a deck yeah. that like opens something like Secret Cave Baron tries to get the wishes, and then transitions into get a Guild Hall, get some vaults. Well, like that, that, that that deck is probably wishing for gold, right? Uh, wishing for vault or gold, gold or vault, yeah. So, I mean that that deck I think has some longevity because vault plus gold equals province. Yeah, doesn't really matter the other cards that are in your deck. Um. Maybe I don't, I don't know. Never mind. Royal carriage is not going to be good for the deck. I think it, in Guild Hall with the coffers can help you close things out as well. I think it's not crazy. No, I don't think it's crazy e- either. Just because we have two of some of the maybe strongest money enablers on. Wait, on did this I board. say open secret cave baron? Open sage baron. I mean, neither that one of those. Secret cave. Neither one of those strike me as crazy. Um, Anyway. Yeah, any of the threes, even like Silver Baron. Silver's also whatever. Fine, yeah. yeah, or like Overlord if the if the stars align for you. Sure. Oh, wait, Overlord's. No, I yeah, don't I was. Overlord, I don't know no. what you're doing with Overlord, no. but uh, the. Yeah, I mean, what you're not crazy with that because we have two of the strongest money enablers in the game on this board, and when I say that, I mean they're they're really good for money and they're just mediocre for other decks. So like. Normally, I'd say you're insane to say you're skipping Groundskeeper on a board with multiple gains, but here, maybe you're not. Um, I don't know. I'm still going to say that Groundskeepers are good, and if they are good, and both people are going for them, this is definitely a board where Groundskeeper's empty. Um, sure, I believe that. Uh, now, if you are, if I'm playing against your vault money, Groundskeepers shouldn't empty. I'm not going to want all ten, hmm. uh, because I'm not going to have time to get those, right? Um, but yeah, I'm gonna say that the groundskeepers are gonna be better than not. Like a deck that is wishing for going for the lamp, like you said, but but instead wishing for groundskeepers and just trying to play those as many times as it can is going to outscore the money deck. But it's not gonna happen every time, right? Like I think that these decks are close enough together that draws are gonna come into play, uh, shuffle luck and what have you. Um. But that's just because money has so much support here. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm gonna take the side of the money deck. Yeah, I think it's better. Not by much, but I think it's better. There you go. And I mean, I'm I'm equal. I'm siding with groundskeeper, but I'm also saying not by much. So uh, we'll yeah. see. We'll see which one of our lukewarm defenses uh, comes to comes to light. Yeah. All right. Next time on making luck. The Dominion Podcast. Kind of like the ring. When you listen to it, you die. Well, now when you listen to it, you get like zapped with a laser beam. Well, the ring, you watch a video, and then you get a phone call that you listen to. The phone call. Yeah. But the phone call is not what causes you to die. The, the phone call is just letting you know. It's like a prophecy. Yeah. It's, it's well, it's a threat. He's telling her, by the way. Most prophecies are that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The ring's really screwed me up when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, I saw it right when it came out, so oh, yeah. 
I was in like fourth grade at the time, and my little mind was not ready for it. <laughs> Your little mind. Yeah. I wasn't ready. I was I was a kid. Don't, like, don't you worry, your pretty little mind. Yeah, and like... That song by T-Swift. Well, my teacher told T-Swift, me... T-Swift, please notice me. Please. I bet she's listening. T-Swift, if you're listening, you're amazing, okay? <clears throat> You've inspired people like me to uh, see our inner beauty and also uh, do an intro to their podcast. <laughs> right. Um... <laughs> No, it's, uh, we know she's not listening because we haven't been sued. But uh, the um, <laughs> T Swift would t- she's not like that. Oh, she's a super shrewd businesswoman. The only reason she wouldn't sue over rights to her music because is it's like good it for business. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it would be a bad PR for her to sue something as small as this. But like, what are you talking about? Everyone listens to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know where we are now, but uh, I wanted to play this voicemail again. Zhongguo主纽约总领事馆提醒您，您有一封文件尚未领取，请期待相关证件过来领取。如需人工查询，请按九。Did you like sign up for something, or like did you did you like give somebody your email address, or I mean, have you did you sign up for like a Crunchyroll account that like um, I don't know. So see, like I, I don't even know what language that is. I it's mean, probably Mandarin Chinese. Probably. Can someone confirm? Like, anything you can tell me about this. I'm willing to do some work, but I don't even know where to start on this. Like, I want to know what that voicemail says. Yeah, I got nothing either. I want to know how I'm going to die. Yeah, I mean, we've decided it's probably a death threat. Yeah. Um, but are they threatening to, like, shoot him or boil him alive or cut his head off? Yeah, if it's boil me alive, I'll just learn how to snap my own neck. Like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. But yeah. I don't want a slow death. I want a fast death. Yeah, but actually, I... that might be uh, useful, too, because we were thinking about doing an episode on the tournament, um, which is <laughs> a card that Adam really doesn't like to play with. Oh, so, man. Um, between getting boil alive, having your neck snapped, doing an episode on tournament, I don't yeah. know where you fall. Yeah, definitely, lo- <laughs> definitely the snap neck. I just figured that, like, since a lot of people actually gave feedback about that song from the previous episode, yeah. uh, it turns out it's Little Bunny Foo-Foo, and I'm not the only person in the world that hit, that heard that song as a kid, but uh, the Wikipedia entry that Wandering Winder linked uh, shines some... Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it's about this like uh, rabbit who is uh, hitting other animals with a blunt object, probably killing them. Yeah, yeah, it's good for kids. Yeah, the the fairy though gives him like three warnings. I don't really understand why she gave him three warnings. Because if you uh, go to assault somebody, the police let you know three times yeah. to stop before yeah. they execute you. Yeah, 